morning, River Valley Christian Church. I am Paul, uh, and I get the honor to open up the service today. Woohoo! Um, yeah, right. Um, first of all, let's start off by shutting off our phones. Well, no, leave your phones on, but turn the volumes down uh, and the ringers off. Um, so anyway, so I get to start. So this is going to be good. I'm excited. Uh, so you ever get a scripture where it's just, you just keep meditating on it, meditating on it, and you're just, it's in, it's in you, and you're just trying to figure out. So you just spend a lot of time with God on it. And uh, the scripture that God has been uh, laying on my heart is in Mark 11, verse 12, and it's about the fig tree. And uh, it says, now the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. That's Jesus. And seeing from afar a fig tree leave, having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. So then he goes, cleans house at the you know, gets all upset, flips over tables. Anyways, so then the next day, it says, in verse 20, it says, Now in the morning as they were passing by, they saw the fig tree dried up from its roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, for the fig tree which you curse has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. And so he says that you can have this great faith, and, and the mountains will, mountains will be removed. But the part that I was just like, wait, wait a second here. So why is it then when he went and wanted the fig trees to bear fruit, it didn't bear fruit? So that's the part I was spending time with God about. I'm like, what, what, what's the deal? And I believe that Jesus had a conversation with the fig tree. And he's like, I want you to bear fruit. And the fig tree's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. It's not the season for me. I'm not ripe yet. I'm not quite ready. Which is how a lot of us say the same thing to God. He's asking us to bear fruit, and we're like, whoa, 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 wait a second. I haven't gone to Bible college. I, 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 don't, I don't have all these things in order. I, I, haven't, like, I haven't studied the Word that much. And so we start coming up with excuses. And Jesus being how he is, he's not going to force his way onto us. He's just like, hey, I'm asking you to bear fruit. It's your choice. So it's us having a heart to say, I want to bear fruit. So which leads to the story of this last week at work. <clears throat> uh, doing some construction and we were doing the roofing, roof sheeting. And one of the guys that I was handing the sheets to, I was cutting the sheets, handing them up to him. And uh, pretty high up. And uh, it was a windy day on Thursday and I handed him the sheet, and I just, in my spirit, I'm like, God, oh, just, oh, I'm not, I'm, yeah, just concerned that it's like, it's just not safe. I hand the sheet to him, and he grabs it, and, and I go, Luke, you okay? He goes, yeah, I think I got it. Well, lo and behold, the wind grabs him and just throws him off the roof. <clears throat> and my first response is, I said, Luke. And then I swore. <laughs> Construction, sorry. Uh, but, you know, put yourself in the same situation. I don't know how, how many other people, in fact, some people were probably like, well, I might have actually swore on the way to church. So, anyways, I'm just saying, we kind of come up with excuses, like, well, wait a second here, you know? So I ran down the stairs and went outside and I put my hand on him and I just like start asking him questions, but I'm praying in the spirit. And then I'm like, okay, Luke, how, how are you doing? 
And he's like, I'm, 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 I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm hurting, but I'm doing okay. And it was interesting because the homeowners had, <laughs> had showed up and they saw him fall off the roof. And so they're kind of like, well, are you, is everything okay? Well, finally they leave and I, I actually had a chance to just like, all right, Luke, I, I actually want to pray for you. And uh, we prayed. I just prayed for healing and I just prayed for peace and calm. And uh, especially for his wife when he got home to tell her. <laughs> um, and then on the way home, he actually... Uh, he said, I, I got to go to the hospital because he goes, I, I am hurting. And uh, so then he ends up going and they do a CAT scan and check everything out. And uh, so later on that night, I go, how's everything going? And he goes, the doctor said, you are one lucky guy. He goes, you don't have any bleeding, no broken bones, no nothing. And so, so he texts back to me, he goes, amen. Thank you for praying. And the only reason I'm saying this is because I'm no Bible scholar. Um, I just have a heart that says, if you're telling me to do something, obviously the creator of the universe knows what he's doing. And if he's asking me to do something, I'll do it. Half the time. I'm not saying I'm perfect at it. So anyways, so let's all rise and we'll pray to start the service off. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you that you are amazing. You are a good, good, good Father. In fact, you want us to bear fruit. No excuses. You can use each of us right where we are. In fact, we are the only ones that can reach the people that we encounter every day. And so you're just asking us to bear fruit. And we say, well, how can I give something if I, if I don't have it? So Father, today, in this service, we just open up our hearts and minds. Father, fill us full of the fruits of the Spirit. So when our time comes, we just leak. We leak your goodness. We leak your love. We leak your peace. We leak your goodness. So Father, we just come with an open heart and open mind as they fill us full so that, Father, we bear your goodness to the rest of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's good to join our voices together with, the, with heaven and everywhere else wishing, uh, singing hallelujah. Amen. But this is, uh, this is Palm Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, the crowd shouted, Hosanna. Hi, pray, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. And then uh, the Pharisees said, oh, make them stop saying that. And Jesus said, well, if they stop, the rocks will cry out. Praise God. On our watch, the rocks will not cry out. Amen? Amen. Well, why don't you greet one another? All right. Well, it's so good to be here this morning. Debbie and I were uh, not here last week. We were down in Prescott celebrating with the uh, church down there. They got into their new space. They, uh, they had their first uh, service. It's not their grand opening. They just had their soft opening last week, and it was fun. It just was good to be in the building, and thank you to everybody who's gone down there. I know the youth group went down and tore it all apart one night, and <clears throat> others have gone down and done a lot of work, and just, went, just it's good to be a part of what God's doing. Amen? Amen. Well, ever since we started this vision, you know, this, this portion of the vision back in 2017, we've been praying weekly with all the pastors and the leaders of the churches. And, and one of the things that we prayed way back then, way back early, was we needed laborers. You know, to do what God's doing today, to do what to do to fulfill the vision, we need people. Jesus said, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers into the harvest field. And so we take that very seriously. We've been praying a lot, praying continuously that God will bring people who can minister. You know, it's good to, to, to see the saved law or the lost saved, almost as saved lost. Don't, that's not good. That's bad. We don't want that. The lost say it's good to see people get born again, but it's also we need you know to be able to see that on a on a bigger scale. We need people who have have gifts and talents, who are called, who are anointed of God. And so uh, one of the things we've been praying is that people will come in and be a part of us who are ready to put their hands to the plow. Amen. And God's doing that. There's many new folks who have been here now just for a very short time, anywhere between you know a few weeks to to literally you know a year or two year and a half, two years. 
And God is putting together a, a group of people who can literally take this valley one step at a town, one town at a time. And so I'm just so excited. And with, with that comes people who are able to, to, to step right in and be able to be a part of what's going on and teaching and training and, and working and, and everything else. And so this morning, it's my great honor, for those of you who've been here forever, notice that when I have a microphone in my hand, I'm not preaching. So, uh, so if, you know, but if you're, if you're new here, gotcha. You know, uh, so I didn't preach last week. I didn't preach. I'm not going to preach this. But next week, I promise, I will be ready. I'll have. I'll actually work next week. I promise. I'll do that. <laughs> but I just want to. It's a great honor uh, this morning to uh, welcome uh, Mark Kretschmar uh, here to to minister. He's been teaching a the Blood Covenant class on Wednesday nights, and there's a, a part of the teaching he thought would be wonderful to share with with the congregation. You know, just going into Holy Week. I mean, we're, we don't. Don't do much liturgical here you know what liturgical means you know for those of you you know else you came out of one of those churches we don't you know follow a calendar i mean we we celebrate easter we, we you know celebrate christmas but we don't you know get too liturgical about it look it up look you know re, look at google it what that means but we're going into holy week we're actually doing a seder meal this week i mean gracious sakes i mean talk about Wow, we like we're, we're going after it, but uh, but going into it, it's good to understand what's happening. What what was going on? What was why did they do Passover? Why did Jesus come at Passover and die on the cross and so on? And as we enter into Holy Week, it's just good to have that background. And and Mark is going to come and share a word this morning, and let's also give uh, Mark a warm welcome as he comes and ministers today. Thank you, Pastor. Good morning, church. Good morning. <laughs> I'm learning to love that. Um, first, I want to give honor where honor is due, uh, mostly to y'all. Uh, we've uh, church wandered for, for a number of years, and uh, we came here, and you guys have just adopted us, uh, and we really appreciate that. We just immediately kind of fell into a place. Uh, thank you to Pastor John for making those opportunities available. And so I want to honor you for that, for the welcoming spirit and the, what you have here. And the people that are hungry for the word of God and not just the word, but for Jesus. Because Jesus told the religious people, you search the word looking for eternal life, but it brings you to me. And we do that too. We find the truth. We've got to take that truth to him worship him around it and talk to him about it. And that's what you guys do. And I appreciate that. Uh, very much. Pastor John mentioned we just finished up a blood covenant class, and I had taught a class before that on the bridegroom God. My wife is going to be teaching a class starting Wednesday on prayer. I would encourage you to consider that. Um, I looked at the list. There's a lot of people signed up, which is spectacular. 80% of them are women. <laughs> Men, don't, don't just leave the prey in. To the ladies, it's our job too. Okay, well it is Palm Sunday. So today, they were celebrating the day that this was happening. This is the day that Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. I just learned yesterday that donkeys have a cross on their back. And I, I looked it up. It's, it's true, all donkeys have a cross on there. You can shave the fur off, it's in the skin, there's a cross. So he rode a cross into Jerusalem. I just think that is cool. But this, the date was the 10th of Nisan. That's the date that that was happening. Does anybody have any idea what else was happening on the 10th of Nisan? I'd be really impressed if somebody did. But that's the day in the law that they are commanded to select the Passover lamb. So on the 10th day of the month, they pick the lamb. So while all that's going on, near Jerusalem, out in the fields, out in the flocks, people are out looking for that one perfect lamb that they can use for Passover. So all over there's the flocks and people going through, you know, a little spot on that one. He's limping or something. This one's got a funny eye. I don't, I'm looking for the, the, the perfect one. And then finally, there, that's the one. And over here at this flock, here, this is the one. Here, this is one. Well, all that's happening a couple miles away. The people are standing in the streets. This is the one. As Jesus rides into town, because he is the Passover lamb riding across into town to die. 
and they're receiving him as that. They don't really fully realize that, of course. They're saying, this is the one. They're crying out. The rock's going to cry out if they don't. What they're crying out is, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which is from Psalm 118. In Psalm 113 through 118, it's called the Hallel. It's a song that they sing at Passover. So they're singing. They're probably singing. The Bible just says they're shouting. I expect there's some singing going on because they're going to be singing this song. The disciples sang it in the stories of the Last Supper. If you read that, it says, and they sang a hymn. They sang the Hallel. That's what you sing at Passover. So I want to talk about, we're, going to, we're heading towards Passover, Passover was a thing called Threshold Covenant, which very few people know about. There's a guy named Henry Clay Trumbull who wrote a book on the Blood Covenant. Some of you may have read it. It is the definitive work on Blood Covenant. It was written in 1896, 94. So it's, it's a, over 100 years old. But even today, within academics, that's the book they refer to. And in that book, he keeps talking about Threshold Covenant. He says, I keep seeing this thing called Threshold Covenant. I'm going to have to write a book about that. And he did, two years later. And it's just astounding stuff, and very few people in the church know about it. And it's just eye-opening. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm excited to get there. But we got to lay some foundation work. i got to take five works of class and squeeze it into about 10 minutes here. And that's the idea of blood covenant. Most of you have some sense of it, right? It's, it's a, two people come together and there's, there's some blood involved. Uh, within biblical examples, nobody's drinking blood. None of that is happening. But within the culture, there's a lot of blood drinking going on. But it's two people that come together. And there's some blood that is shed. And it's sealed over their relationship and over their promises that they're making to each other. That's the essence of blood covenant. The real aspect of blood covenant that a lot of people don't get, when you look at Trumbull, he reduced the whole thing down to five factors we're not going to talk about. And nowhere in there is there anything about keeping promises. Blood covenant is about two people becoming one through blood. And then I'll keep my promise because we're now one. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, talking about husbands and wives, he says, husbands, be good to your wives because no man ever mistreated his own flesh. He's saying, you're one. Why would you mistreat your wife? That's you. That's the point of blood covenant is the two people coming together. It's not just about promise keeping. The other foundational piece that I have to work into everything is that I absolutely believe, I don't have the time to make a strong case for you right now, but the reason for creation is because the father is creating an inheritance and a bride for his son. That's the reason all of this happens. Because the way the story ends, Revelation 19.7, Hallelujah, give glory to God, for the marriage supper of the Lamb has finally come, and the bride has made herself ready. And you may ask how that relates to the blood covenant. It does very much. Because the very first blood covenant ever seen in the earth was between Adam and Eve. I want to be... I want to handle this correctly. This is a holy thing. But when Adam and Eve came together for the first time and conceived Cain, Eve's body offered up some blood. Because God designed a woman's body to produce blood for the purpose of a blood sealing of a marriage covenant. That was the, that's the purpose of that. A marriage happens and then blood is poured out on that marriage to seal it. So it's a really holy thing. Young folks, save it. <laughs> it it's, it's worth saving for that. What an awesome thing. That's blood covenant. That's, that's the blood of the covenant of marriage. Of those five things that Trumbull found out about blood covenant, the first three we will touch on because they're really important. First is that the blood represents life. And the word of God tells us that. God said that specifically, right? The life is in the blood. And we find that scripture several places. The second thing is that the giving of blood is the giving of life. And the receiving of blood is the receiving of life. Well, yeah, that, that all makes sense. 
That's really important for us to understand because in Leviticus 17.11 is a really critical scripture that, that, that sets a tone for everything. Who would have thought you would have found a scripture like that in Leviticus, right? <laughs> when I saw this, like, wow, Leviticus? Really? I always ignore that book. <laughs> Pastor John said stuff like that, too. He, so it kind of reads kind of fast through that part. And, yeah, me too, or I just, ah, uh, you know. But this is critical. For the life of the flesh, he's, he's talking about the Mosaic sacrifices. He's about to lay them out, and there's fascinating stuff in there we spent a whole evening on. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood, by reason of the life, that makes the atonement. It is the life in the blood that makes the atonement. It is not the death of the sacrifice. Jesus' death on the cross did not purchase your redemption. Jesus pouring out his life on the cross purchased your redemption. It's a really important difference because if you think it's the death of the sacrificial victim, now you think this is what sin looks like. Sin happened, God's mad, wants to kill somebody. Right? Somebody's got to die, but I'm a good God, so I'm going to kill that critter instead of you. That's just not what is happening. Does that make sense with the cross? I mean, that's not what's happening. Adam had life in his blood. Okay, the life is in the blood. The life he had was God life, and he gave it away. And God promised him in Genesis 3, uh, one's coming, I will purchase you back. But I need something of equal value in order to purchase you back. I need life, I need the life of God in blood again, and there isn't any. So we'll use these animals because they at least have innocent life. It's not God life, but it's not tainted with sin until I can make God life in the blood again, which he did. In John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Speaking of Jesus, of course, in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But in verse 5, he says something we read over and say, yeah, that's nice. He says, in him was life. Hallelujah. For the first time ever. You know, when Jesus was born, so the angels were so excited, you know, they, they actually burst through the clouds and they, they couldn't contain themselves to the heavenly realm anymore. It's like talking to shepherds, do you, do you know what's going on down there? The life, life is in the earth again. There is life here. The price is available. The equivalent value is there. Adam and his descendants can be redeemed now. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. He didn't say no one kills me. It's the outpoured life that is our redemption because that blood is the most precious stuff in the universe because it has God life. And Jesus held up that cup and said, drink it. You know, before that, drink offerings in the Mosaic system were always poured out. They're always a picture of blood, but they were always poured out because no one was qualified to actually drink that. Because if you drink the representation of blood of someone, you unite with them. And the pouring out of the drink offering was telling them repeatedly, no, you, you can't, you're not there yet. We're not there yet. You can't actually become one with me yet. We can have a covenant together, but we don't get to unite. Till Jesus grabs that cup, says, this is my blood. Drink it. Just awesome. The life isn't the blood. Does everybody understand God's not mad at sin and has to kill something? The Bible talks about the avenger of the blood. That word avenger is redeemer every other time it's translated, except when they talk about blood. The translators made it avenger because they don't understand blood covenant concepts. No, it's still the redeemer. When blood is taken, blood must be restored, simply creating balance. When life was taken, Adam's life was taken, life must be restored with equal life. And that was Jesus. He's the one that provided that. We have a lot of things we do around Threshold Covenant that 
Well, let me back up. Let me tell you the story. Trumbull has this story in the beginning of the book on the Threshold Covenant of an example. This would have been 1880s, somewhere around there. A dignitary from Britain shows up in some place in Central Asia. I don't remember where it was, but this is while the British Empire still had some places out there they were ruling over. And so as he shows up by boat or by train, uh, people from this nation that came to collect him brought him a horse. They all came on horseback and they brought him a horse and he said, wow, that is a magnificent animal. And he rode the thing back to wherever they were going and whoever the person was, this high-ranking state official came out to greet him and he commented again on the horse, said, that is one of the most magnificent horses I have ever seen. The person said, yeah, it's, it's the best I have in my stable. And then the horse was sacrificed and the blood from that horse was then poured over the door that he was about to step over on the threshold to enter into the place. Because in threshold covenant, you would pour blood on the door and the value of the blood represents the honor and the value of the guest that you are receiving. So in order to honor him, he poured out this incredibly valuable animal's blood, some of it, on the door. Now in the stories in Trumbull's book, he's, we, we can't learn much about covenant from here, right? There's things about, there's covenant happenings, but the people already knew about it, so it's not explaining covenant. We have to look elsewhere to find that out. And so he did a lot of research in cultures, and there are lots of stories. These are pagan stories. These aren't Christian or, or godly stories, but people who sacrificed their sons to pour on a threshold of a new temple or something. And there's lots of evidence. There's things buried under thresholds. Well, we'll talk more about that in a minute. But we have some vestiges of threshold covenant that we still do. The christening of a ship, and where they break a bottle of champagne or something over the ship, that originally was pouring out of either wine as a representation of blood or blood itself or the gangplank as people would walk onto it for the first time. Another thing we do, when somebody important shows up and they're coming into some important building, what do they walk on? A red carpet. That's why it's red. That used to be blood. If there's somebody that you're going to honor, you would put blood on the door. And so then it eventually became much more civilized, and uh, now it's just red carpet. And now we use it for celebrities. <laughs> kind of a shame. Uh, So a threshold covenant was this idea of blood on the, on the threshold. You'd cross over the threshold. You would enter into covenant with the people on the inside. And it was, it was, it was a common practice. Violation of that covenant was rare and significant. One of the worst violations, of course, would be to simply step on the threshold. That dignitary I was talking about that was welcomed, he could have spit in that guy's eye and groped his wife and not caused that much trouble, but if he stepped on that threshold, I expect war would have come. You just, you don't do that. We still have a vestige of that. What happens if you step on a crack? You break your mother's back. You know? That is absolutely a holdover from threshold covenant. You don't step on the threshold or curses will come upon you. In Hebrews 10.29, the writer of Hebrews says, Woe to the person who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and the blood of his redemption. He's referring specifically to threshold covenant. In Japan, Christian missionaries have been very successful. And so they were winning a lot of people to Jesus. And the Japanese didn't like that. So the way they overcame it is they would erect, they'd go into a village and they erect a doorway of some sort. Then had a copper crucifix and they would lay that little copper cross or crucifix, whatever it was they made, they'd lay it on the threshold of that doorway and then they would force the villagers to walk through there and stomp on that cross as they walked through. So even in the Far East, which I tend to think of as having just a radically different culture, um, threshold covenant is there too. This is how they would 
once you've done that, they would never think about approaching Jesus again. I've already done the absolute worst possible offense I could do. Obviously, you've completely rejected me, and I have no hope of ever being in a relationship with you again because look what I did on a threshold. Hopefully, they got set free of that by other missionaries. You know, in Jesus in John 10, he says, I am the door of the sheep. And people that go in and out through me are two shepherds. Now, what does he say about thieves? He says, the thief doesn't come in through the door. The thief comes up by another way. Because even a thief, I'm going to steal from you. I'm going to come into your house and take your property. But I'm not going to step over the threshold. If I step over the threshold, I have now entered into covenant with you. And if I steal from you, the curses that are coming on me are unimaginable. Plus, even as a thief, I have too much honor to step over the threshold and then steal from you. That's what Jesus is referring to when he says, a thief comes up by another way. Trumbull says that this is the oldest, in fact, in the, the title of his book, Threshold Covenant, is Threshold Covenant, the beginning of religious rites. He believes it is the first ritual of any sort around any type of religion was Threshold Covenant. He thinks it's the oldest. So let's kind of talk about how this thing came to be. In ancient homes, as they build a home, whatever they were building it out of, the first thing they would do is establish the threshold, which really at that point is the same as the foundation. The threshold stone and the foundation stone were one and the same. And they would put that there, and then they would call upon deity of some sort to bless the home. And because they didn't have fireplaces yet, or chimneys, I should say, and every home had its own altar, and an altar means sacrifices, and sacrifices means burning stuff. So a, a, an altar without sacrifice doesn't make any sense. But they didn't have chimneys and stuff, so the altar had to be at the door so the smoke could escape. So the threshold and the entry of the door became the altar and the holy place in the home. It became the honored place. And so that's why there's so much going on with thresholds in the home. The Jews and we at our house have a mezuzah on uh, the doorpost of our door. If you're familiar with that, a little, there's a bunch of scripture in there and it gets stuck at the doorpost. When Jewish families, this is in the law, if they would adopt a slave, and that's not like American slavery, this was different, they were members of the family basically, but they would take them to the, according to the law, take them to the doorway and stick their earlobe on the door and punch through it and get a little bit of blood on the doorway. And that, that's what made them part of the family. So there's something about doorways and thresholds that made them a holy thing. So then that expanded and they started building temples. And the same thing would happen is they would build the foundation and the threshold. And that was the beginning of that building. But our people were gathering together and now it's a temple. And once a temple or any other building is destroyed, which would happen then. You know, somebody would come in, they get in a fight, and they tear down their temple. When they went to build it, you had to build it on that same foundation. If you didn't build it on that foundation, it wasn't that temple. Because that foundation is the one that they put blood on and entered into covenant with whatever deity was overseeing the thing. There are stories of people digging for 10 years just to find that first stone. There, now we can finally build our temple. In 1 Corinthians 3.10, the Apostle Paul is talking about building on the foundation, which is Jesus. And he says, anyone can build on this wood, hay, stubble, but if they don't build on that foundation, it's not the kingdom. It's all for nothing. Things will be evaluated one day, whether they're gold or wood, hay, and stubble, based on what foundation they were built on. Because Jesus is the foundation, and you can't, he says, you can't build on any other foundation than the one that was laid. So he's continuing that threshold covenant practice and idea into what Jesus did. Jesus is the foundation, and everything has to be built on him. And if you take that and expand it further, we make a city, and there's an entrance to the city. And there's that entrance point becomes the threshold to the city. 
It's usually called a gate. So the gates of the city was a place where the city had been consecrated to whoever. And it was the place where you'd go to talk to God. This was the place where the elders meet. You guys have read the Bible, right? You see all these times they're always talking about the gates of the city. Everybody's always waiting in the gates of the city. What's going on with the gates of the city? Well, the gates is the headquarters. This is the, this is the I want to say center of the city. It sounds geographically wrong. But this is where it's all happening. We keep finding people waiting in the gates of the city. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And we've heard it said many times that gates are a defensive structure and that's saying that we're supposed to invade hell. And yes, and amen to that, but that's really not what he's talking about. He's talking about headquarters. The central spiritual home of hell, the boardroom, the strategy room, where they gather together and devise their plans will not prevail against the church. That's what the gates of hell not prevailing against the church are about. I'm laying a, we're gonna, about to get to Passover and uh, tried to lay a little bit of foundation. The story of Lot, we're not going to take the time to actually go through that verse by verse, but the story of Lot and Sodom, and the, the two angels come and they've been dispatched by the Lord, says it looks like things are pretty ugly down there in Sodom. Why don't you go check it out? Is it really <laughs> that bad? Not sure why God would need to do that. He surely knows. But so that we can read about it and we can see his fairness. Say, hey, I sent people to check it out. And most of you know, know the story. It, it didn't go well. But Lot says, the angels come in. He begs them, come into my house. And it says they had a feast. Covenants were always celebrated with a feast. So he entered into covenant with them. Based on some ancient rabbinical writings, we believe they poured salt on the threshold, but that's not in the word. But they had entered into covenant because Lot says when they come to get these two people, he says, you can't do them harm for they've come under my roof for protection. In other words, I have entered into covenant with them. Here you can take my daughters, but you can't have these. And we could talk about that a little bit more. We simply don't have time. But I think the thing that happens then is, you know, the people all show up, right? They're at the door. They're saying, hey, give us those guys. They're kind of good looking. We would like to see them. You know the story. And it says that they pushed against the door to break it. And I think that was the piece that to the people of the time, God wanted everybody to see about his judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Not only were they just apparently engaged in drunkenness and orgies constantly, they were going to violate a threshold. Nobody did that. These people were so corrupt that they were going to break a door down, come across a threshold, and grab someone and do them harm. Unheard of. This was the linchpin. Said all that other stuff, I've been putting up with that for like, you know, 10 years. They were going to break a door down and do harm to somebody. They are beyond hope. So let's start our discussion of Passover. So cool. Passover was a betrothal. This is why I started with the idea of the bride and the bridegroom. Because it is at Passover that Jehovah betrothed himself to Israel. There's a lot of scriptural references. We don't have time to go into all of those. Jeremiah 2.2 says, Cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, I remember you, the devotion of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went in after me in the wilderness. That went in after me in the wilderness is a reference to this Passover season. It starts with Passover, then there's the seven days, they end up at the mountain and all that stuff happening. That whole thing was a betrothal. I could take more time to convince you of that if you're not, but trust me, it's true. It was a betrothal. Isaiah talks about it. Jeremiah talks about it. Hosea, the entire book is about it. Amos talks about it, referring to this time as a betrothal. It's after that point that God begins to refer to himself as a husband of Israel. It's after that point that he begins to refer to Israel's wanderings as adultery and harlotry. Before that, God was simply the friend of Abraham. After that, he was a husband, and their violations 
were adulterous. Trumbull wrote this about it. Jesus is a bridegroom, as was Jehovah. This plus the beginning of the covenant practice in Adam and Eve, which we talked about, gives a symbolism of the nature of all true worship. So in Trumbull's view, mine as well, that all true worship comes down to we are in a bridegroom-bride relationship. That is the basis of our worship. That is the basis, the primary basis of all our interactions with the Lord. It's not the only one. We're also a lot of things. We're more than conquerors. We're overcomers. We're a lot of stuff. But the foundation is we are brides to a bridegroom. At the Passover service, one of the books that they read from the Old Testament is the Song of Solomon. Now, if you're familiar with the Song of Solomon, this is a steamy love song about marriage. And that's the reason they read that during a Passover service is because this was God's betrothal. This is when he betrothed himself to Israel. So they read this romantic story of how God loved the Jews. And now we see this, how Jesus loves the bride and how we respond. Oh, he is mine and I am his. Okay, let's actually look at Passover in Exodus 12. I think you're going to hear some things you, you haven't heard before. You may have already heard some things you haven't heard before. I personally love hearing things I haven't heard before. And then I go check them out and make sure they're true. Especially if I'm reading Facebook. Uh, don't get me started. That's, that's where I saw the thing about the, the donkey. You know, like, oh, that's cool. That sounds so cool. Somebody probably just made it up. So I spent about 15 minutes doing the research. It's true. All donkeys have a cross on their back. Then I even did the research. Did Jesus really ride that in a donkey or is that a different name for some other kind of animal? Well, it turns out it really was a donkey as far as they can tell. Okay, the story of Exodus. I'm sorry, the story of the Passover in Exodus 12, starting in verse 6. He's told them already on the 10th day to go find a lamb. And in verse 6, he says, And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel and the houses in which they eat it. In verse 11, he says, Now you shall eat it in this manner with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Remember I said that this is a common practice, this whole threshold covenant thing. So why does he refer to it as this is the Lord's Passover? It's to differentiate it from all the other Passovers. Because they've done this before. This is threshold covenant. They're pouring blood on a threshold and around a door. This was happening all around them. They'd probably done it themselves. I'm not sure how often... Egyptian slaves had the opportunity to have dinner parties, but if they did, they'd put some blood on the door and welcome the Smiths over. And that would be the Smiths' Passover. He says, well, this is the Lord's Passover. Now imagine hearing that. This is the, who's coming now? <laughs> in verse 12, for I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments I am the Lord. I love that. And the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So that's how God describes it to Moses. So Moses goes to the people, and he describes it. It's a little different. In verse 21, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel. And said to them, Go and take yourselves lambs according to your family and slay the Passover lamb. He hasn't said anything about Passover yet. What do they know about Passover? Well, they know what a Passover lamb is. That's the lamb that you would kill to get blood to pour on a threshold to welcome a guest. This was not a new concept to them. This whole Passover thing, that's not new. They were familiar with this practice. Verse 22, and you shall take a bunch of hyssop 
and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and the two doorposts and none of you shall go outside the door of his home until morning. Basin. That word is threshold. It's translated in the Old Testament 40 plus times as threshold or doorway. It's translated basin or bowl like six times. And even in those places, the scripture makes a lot more sense if you put in the word threshold. The Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament, renders that word in Greek that he has for basin as thyra, which is doorway. So if you read the Septuagint version of the story, it says, take some of the blood that is not in the basin, but that is in the doorway. Jerome, who had his own translation of the Bible, uh, is Catholic theologian, uh, wrote a translation of the Old Testament from Hebrew into Latin. He translated that word that we have as base in most of our Bibles as threshold. Philo, a, another a, a Greek historian, and he describes Passover as a feast. Diabeteria, which diabeteria were offerings offered before crossing a border. Rabbi Ishmael, who was one of the rabbis that contributed to the Talmud, which was a kind of a commentary read on the Old Testament uh, a few hundred years before Jesus, he said, speaking of this scripture, it says, One dug a hole in the threshold and he slaughtered into that. For saf, which is the Hebrew word translated basin here, signifies here nothing else than threshold. I looked at, you know, these days you get a lot of translations on one page, which is really cool. Here are some of the other translations I found of this scripture. Instead of some of the blood in the basin, some of the blood by the door. Blood that is at the door. Blood that is upon the threshold. Blood at the entrance. So as they slaughter this Passover lamb, the blood is going into a bowl built into the threshold. And that bowl is just kind of built in because they've done this before. It was in the culture all around them. They'd seen this practice. Maybe they did it as slaves. Again, I don't know if they had much opportunity for that kind of thing. But they were well familiar with it. And now that you've got it poured on the threshold, go ahead and rub it on the door as well. That was verse 22, about the basin. I hope I've convinced you it was really a threshold. Verse 23, Moses continues, For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. The Lord is crossing over the door. The Lord is coming in. What they're hearing, because they're familiar with this practice, is prepare a threshold covenant, the way you receive an honored guest, get a perfect and spotless lamb. I want you to keep it. You're going to pick it on the 10th day of the month. Keep it for four days, because I want you to examine it to make sure it's perfect. You know, Jesus rode in on that same day. The next four days, everybody was inspecting their lambs to make sure that they were perfect. What was Jesus doing? He was in the temple. He was being grilled by Pharisees, Sadducees, doctors of the law, scribes. And it says in Scripture, you can find it at least a dozen places. They were looking to find fault in him. He was being inspected just like the Passover lambs. They even gave him to Pilate. And Pilate even said, I can't find anything wrong with this guy. Passover lambs were found to be without spot or wrinkle. Jesus was found have no fault so they pour that blood out he's saying do that because we're having a threshold covenant somebody's coming over it's the Lord and when he sees the blood so he's here's the doorway into one of the homes and they've got the blood there and, and Trumbull says this is a picture of a sovereign king with his executioner he said it was a a con, common concept for them. Kings would do that. Hey, if there's a guy causing too much trouble, he grab his executioner, they go visit him, and that was the end of that. But when he sees the blood on the threshold, God steps over that threshold, over that blood, receives the honor and the welcome of the blood, enters into covenant with the people inside the home, 
and then turns around, looks at the destroyer, says, just got to get by me. That's what was happening at Passover. He's not going along passing over a home. Oh, I see blood. I'm not going to kill them. No. He is entering into covenant. He is coming in. He is the welcome guest who has come into their home and said, I'm here now. Who's going to hurt you? How can the destroyer get in here? He can't get by me. Oh, and by the way, you're my, you're my betrothed now. Yes. Yes, I crossed over. You're now my betrothed. You think I'm going to let that guy harm you? That's not going to happen. Isn't that much better than the picture we've had at Passover all this time? Yes. Jesus. God, we love you so much. You are so awesome. In verse 27, after Moses explained this, it says, and the people bowed low and worshiped. Well, yeah. Could you imagine? So here's what's happening. You're going to prepare a covenant. Okay, yeah, all right. We're going to, somebody's coming already. God's coming. Yeah, they hit their face. They're like, wow, I can't. Who, who's coming again? Let's, let's clean the house up. Oh. Get your underwear off the floor. And Wow. Jesus, we just talked about some, there are a number of parallels between Jesus and in this, because he's, he's our Passover lamb. I'm not going to take the time to list them. But one of the things that's happened during, on that day when they were doing Passover, like ten, tens of thousands of lambs were slaughtered. They got a whole process. So a person would bring their lamb to the temple, he would do what he had to do, and the priest would catch the blood, and they'd throw the blood in this drain at the bottom of the altar. I had a picture of the drain system that the guy took recently, and uh, I can't find it, uh, but it's big. Because there's, you know, 20,000 gallons of blood that are, you know, follow this drainage system and come out the back of the city someplace. And blood isn't well behaved, right? It kind of thickens up and clots up and stuff and doesn't flow very well after a while. So they would also throw buckets of water in there just to keep things flowing. And then around the backside of the city, the people would gather and they would see all this blood flowing out and they would celebrate and they would sing the Hallel again. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they would celebrate. Look at all this blood, the redemption of Israel. Look at all this stuff pouring out. Blood and water is coming out of here. A mile away, Jesus is hanging on a cross. And a Roman soldier takes a spear. Blood and water comes out. Two different places, blood and water flowing out, redemption. A picture, a type, a shadow, the real thing. And John, who writes about it, it's his gospel. It's, it's interesting when you read that section. He says, and he stuck him with a spear and blood and water came out. And then he says, and I, who am writing this, was there and witnessed it myself. There's something about that that he felt like saying, dudes, really, I saw it. Nobody told me about it. I had to see it with my own eyes. There's something about seeing blood and water come out of Jesus that he thought needed extra verification that really, I saw it myself. I think he saw the parallel. It's like, wow. Like, I can hear them from here as they're yelling over the blood and the water coming out from the Passover slaughter. I'm looking at it. But this is real life. This is the life of God in this blood. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7 and 8, Paul says, Jesus is our Passover. So if the Lord's Passover was called the Lord's Passover because the Lord is the one passing over, our Passover means we're the ones passing over. So here's the picture. Picture this in your head somehow. Whatever the doorway into the kingdom of God, heaven, whatever you picture that like. As you approach that door, and we can approach it a lot of different, when we get born again, we approach it. When we leave, we'll approach it, leave this planet, I mean. Uh, and in our own time with the Lord, we can do this. Here stands Jesus, the bridegroom, on the other side of the door. And as, as you appear and begin to approach, he sees you coming, and he smiles. It's like, oh, there they are. Let me show you the honor 
I have for you. Let me show you how I value you, and I'm so glad you're here, and how I want to welcome you. Here's my blood poured across the threshold, and I want you to walk over it. Because one of the things in the threshold covenant is that a threshold marked a clear line of demarcation between in and out. It wasn't like, I'm kind of in. No, you cross that threshold, you're in. So we step over that threshold with the blood of Jesus. Just imagine as you're going through all, all that stuff. It doesn't exist in here. This is the kingdom. This is you. This is you in the spirit. This is you born again. This is you made pure and spotless by the blood of the lamb. That's who's here. As you step through, that stuff just peels off. And there's this like pile of skin left there. It's your old man. Jesus doesn't see that. You're on this side of the threshold. And he embraces you. And you see the value. Oh, that, that's how you value me? Yes, the most precious thing in the world, and the entire planet, and the entire universe is poured out for you because this is how I value you. This is what you're worth. And if God says that's true, who could say anything else? Talk about rolling out the red carpet. When you show up to Jesus, whether it's in prayer, when you got born again, or... When, again, when we leave this planet, the red carpet's going to be rolled out for you, has been rolled out for you, was rolled out for you. We have been saved. We are being saved. We will yet be saved. Right? You know that scripture? That red carpet's just always there. It's a red carpet of his blood. And honor. Do you know who you are in him? Do you know who you are in him? Do you know how he values you? Like a bride. Oh, he just desires you and wants you to know that this is how you're valued. That's why he pours his blood over that threshold. This is, this is a real thing. This is happening. Read the book of Hebrews. You won't read it the same anymore. It talks about the blood that enters in as an anchor of the soul into the, into the very throne room of God. He's talking about this, that blood that is poured out there. That's you. If you would, just close your eyes for just a minute. I mean, I really want you to just take a minute. I'm going to pray, and as I do so, just... See yourself stepping over. See Jesus, whatever he looks like to you, standing there welcoming you. And see yourself stepping over. You've entered into a new place, a whole new dimension, a whole new you. It's the reality of who you are. Jesus, we thank you. Father, we thank you for your plan that is beyond our greatest imagination of our redemption. We thank you for the price that you established to be paid for and that it was paid in the blood of Jesus. Jesus, we thank you. Yes, you did die for us. We thank you for that sacrifice, but we thank you for the life that was in you that you poured out for us and that by partaking of your blood, we share nature with you. That we are made partakers of the divine nature and that you have removed all of that stuff from us and you see us just that way. You only see us on your side of the door. We thank you for it. We honor you for it. We exalt you. We praise you. We, we lift high the name of Jesus. We receive by faith everything you said about us as true. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Pastor? That's good stuff. Amen. As he was uh, sharing all of that, I just heard these verses. I heard these verses going over and over and over in my heart. And it's out of Revelation chapter 3. And it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens his door or the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. That's that relationship. But you have to open the door. You have to open the door. He's knocking. He isn't busting his way in. He's not coming in through the window. He's not, God's not going to come in and make you do anything. He's standing at the door and knocking. If you've never received Jesus, if you've never opened that door to him, you can do that right now. It's not a ceremony. It's not a, it's not a, 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 a you know, raise your right hand, repeat after me, although you could repeat after me. 
But it's a choice that you make to open the door and say, God, I'm, I, I want you. I, I want to let you into my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I loved what he said. I loved what the word says. That when he comes in, he's the husband. He's, he's the head. He's the leader. He's, he's king. And we're a part of him. And it, it actually goes on to say here, the one who conquers, this is verse 21, the very next verse says, the one who conquers, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on, on his throne. That as we enter into that relationship with him, as you enter into that relationship with him today, if you're watching online and, and you're thinking, I, I want to be a part of that, you can right now. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I, I repent of my sin. I receive what you do. I open up my life to you right now. I open up that door and I receive what you did for me pouring out your life for me. I receive, be the Lord of my life. And when you do that, you are in. <laughs> You're in. I love that. It, that's what's so beautiful about this week, the, the Holy Week. And, and we can talk about all the stuff, you know, we can talk about all the, the, the festivities and all the things. But what really matters is what the Word says. And, and he, he said this from day one, from the very beginning. He, he gave knowledge ahead of time, and then he fulfilled it. He, he did, he, he fulfilled his Word and did what he said. As we go through the Seder meal on Tuesday night, there'll be even more of that symbolism. That's the, and, it's, and it's not just symbolism, it's foretelling. He said, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. And Jesus ful fulfilled it that night at the Last Supper. It's going to be very exciting. Linda, you want to come and share about offering? And then I'll come back for the most important part of the service, the announcements. <laughs> Mark, I want to thank you because the picture you painted this morning was especially precious to me. I wasn't here last Sunday, but I had the privilege of sitting in the front row of my ex-husband's church, and I watched my daughter get married. So your symbolism today was very powerful to me. And I want to have you remember something this is something we all need to believe and to think about as believers as i looked at my daughter's eyes i saw this intense love and today as mark was sharing i realized we need to have that intense love for jesus she just adores her new husband and we need to adore our new husband this day and every day for the rest of our lives. Hallelujah. Thank you, Mark. Um, my message today um, for the offering and announcements, well, pastor's going to do the announcements, but I'm going to do the offering. So, Father, we just thank you today that you're with us and you lead the way for us. And we just have to follow. Hallelujah. So, my message is a little brief, but I think it's pretty powerful. If you will turn with me to Psalms 35, God confirmed this message again this morning because my devotional read this exact same verse. You know how God does that? He just helps you to know this is the right thing. You're on track, Linda. And uh, verse 27 says, Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, Let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. I have a question for you this morning. Do you want to give God pleasure? Do you? Raise your hand if you're thinking yes. Yep. I do too. I want to give God pleasure. So I want to be the servant that allows him to give me prosperity. So not only can I use that to benefit the world, but it can be a living testimony of the world that God's there and he's, he's powerful. So it is a wonderful thing. So obviously everything we're, we do should glorify God. So as we give our offering today, that should glorify God just like everything else. And it doesn't have to be some big hoopla, but it has to come from the heart, right? So 
you need to consider what God is giving you for specific direction today. I know yesterday he told me something that he wanted me to do today concerning offering. Um, sometimes God just says, you choose, Linda. How much do you want to give? But other times, he directs our heart. If you'll turn with me to first, uh, Second Corinthians chapter 9, and we've read this before. It's not a new reading, but you know what? Every time we look into the word, there's something new God wants to speak to our heart. He wants it to change us every time we read his word. So verse 7 says, uh, So let him give not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So I believe this prosperous person is a cheerful giver. They aren't, oh, i got to do this today for God. No, it's I love to give because God has given so much to me. And then verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Well, this is a scripture I'm telling God I really want to be able to do. I'm not there yet, but God is working. Notice at the beginning it says all grace. I haven't gotten all grace yet. Have you? If you have, I want to talk to you after service. So, but we're in a process, aren't we? Each of us are on a journey and we're taking the road that God has called us to take. And we can do what God shows us to do and what is in our hearts to do as we love God. And the last scripture I'd like to share with you, of course, revolves around love. And that is 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3. Some people may think I overuse that scripture, but I don't think so. Because God's word says that in uh, the, the 13th verse of chapter 13, isn't that interesting? 13, 13. And now abideth faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So the greatest of these is love. So if I'm giving, my giving needs to be done in love. And if it's done in love, then it's going to have the power that we talked about in 2 Corinthians. God's never going to make you give. You get to choose today, just like you choose every other thing in your life. God is so good. He wants to bless you beyond what you can think, hope, or imagine by the power that's at work in you. And he's going to give you a choice. Hallelujah. Father, we just commit this offering to you. We know that you love a cheerful giver. So, Father, teach us how to be a cheerful giver. Show us what you want us to do. Make us the prosperous servant that your word talks about so that we can have everything we need and always be able to abound to any good work, any good thing, Lord. And we just thank you today that you are in love with us. And we, as your bride, Father, we are just almost kind of crazy in love with you. And we just have that glow in our eyes of the new bride. And Father, we want to get more intimate with you and to love you better. And Father, this is one way. So we ask you to show us what we're to do. And we just thank you now that we have an opportunity to give. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name.